0: This is an echo from the past, a rerun, if you will. And in this way, new listeners can catch up and old listeners can reminisce about the past. Everyone profits greatly from this. I think uh, uh, In uh, this one uh, was released on the 5th of February 2015. And my guest is author and chaos alchemist Anton Channing. And he talks about his book Chemical Serpents. You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode 19 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. In this episode, I will be talking to author anton shanning who has recently published his second book chemical serpents which explores serpent symbolism in hermetic alchemy and its parallels in other mythological mystical and religious traditions throughout the world so thanks for joining us uh, anton
1: uh, no problem thanks for inviting me
0: yeah uh, you've just written a book called uh, chemical serpents Yep. Yeah, uh, How did this book come about, and and what what is it about?
1: Um, well, I mean, how it came about was because um, it's my second book, and my first book, uh, Chaos Hieroglyphica. i have been working in the chaos magic uh, currents, um, and I kind of started to explore. Um, the depth and perhaps the origins of the of the syst- uh, you know, one of the systems used in chaos magic by by some chaos magicians called the the eight colors system that Pete Carroll came up with. Um, but it, it has roots, older roots. Um, you can trace these colors uh, back through the Queen's scale in Crowley's system back to Kabbalah and and therefore to the uh, the planets um, the that are uh, used in various traditions such as uh, the hermetic, hermetic alchemy and, and whatnot and you, and you can find that there's a, a system of polarities that he was using in the chaos and around the chaos sphere that, that had roots in the um in the same same pairings you know like the moon with saturn and the you know venus and mars and uh that you'd find in, in various alchemical literature, and Jupiter Jupiter opposite uh, Mercury, and you find those same polarities in, in quite a lot of old alchemical literature. And I, and I kind of wanted to know why that was. And um, uh, whilst I made some alchemical observations in Chaos Hieroglyphica, I kind of wanted to explore that deeper. And that was that was my initial impetus. Um, and also at the same time, I was getting very much involved in in and very much inspired by the the symbol of the serpent. Um, which, of course, again appears throughout alchemy in um, symbols like the Ouroboros, the caduceus, uh, the Asclepian, the bowl of Hygieia, and and, and, and uh, you know various other symbols. It you know appears throughout um, in less obvious forms as well. But you know, um, and so I kind of these th- these two things were coming together around around the same time, and, and I was starting to explore. Um, the interrelationship of all these symbols. Um, And I guess, you know, when I first started it, I didn't have an idea of exactly what this book was going to be. I mean, or rather I had an idea, but it ended up being something else. Um, But but that's okay. I think sometimes you have to let books grow into what they want to be rather than force them into what you initially envisaged. And who knows, maybe maybe I'll come back and write some of the things that I... I, where I thought I'd go, which where I didn't um, later uh, in, a, in some other book, but um, but for now I'm working on some other things. So, um, so yeah. So anyway, with this book, what it ended up being about um, was a symbol was the serpent as a symbol of illumination, um, and by illumination, I, I, you know I mean illuminations uh, in occult terms it has quite a lot of layers of meaning um it's a very simple word on the surface it just means to shine light on something um which of course you know if something's hidden in darkness you know you won't see it unless you shine light on it and obviously the cult means hidden so it's it's kind of like the other side of the coin to the occult in a sense so it's the it's it's sort of exploring those things that are that are occult you, t- to do so, you have to shine light on upon them to, to actually reveal them, um, and and in a way, the ultimate illumination is to see through um, the illu- the whole illusion of culture, um, which you know has been called many things. I mean, the Situationist anarchists would refer to it as the spectacle, um, uh, but you know, it's been called samsara by various hindu and buddhist mystics and it's um the, the they, they have also the concept of the, this uh, an entity uh maybe a demon or something that that creates this illusion uh, which they would call, call uh maya but the but you'd see the same thing in um gnosticism where you have a, a false or illusionary world created by the demiurge and so to be able to see through all that, to start to be able to expose the, the, this false creation is, um, is part of what it's about. a part, part of what the serpent helps with. It helps you to see beyond that and to see, um, because I guess what it is, is that this false creation is really our mind. I mean, our mind creates an image of the world, which is not the real world. And um, you know, I mean, Plato had the idea of the demiurge as well um, before the Gnostics. He kind of saw it as benign because obviously he had a, a positive relationship with the mind. But nonetheless, he recognised that its its uh, conception of the world was flawed, um, even if well-meaning. Whereas the Gnostics perhaps saw it as more malevolent and uh, deliberately creating a an illusionary world to trap us in. Um, but I, I guess you know it, both have a, a certain truth to them because obviously, in a in a way, your mind's your mind creates these um, this map of the world to to help guide you through it. Um, but culture is a, a grouping of minds that um, creates um, um, it, you know it, eventually it can serve an authoritarian system. So you you can have. Things that you're told to believe, or you know, and things that that traditions that are imposed upon you that um, uh, that aren't actually serving you the best, and um, and also you can build up habits, you know, well-meaning habits that um, and and viewpoints on things that. May have served you at one point, or they may have been a defence against something bad that was happening to you. And but you can end up clinging to these habits and and, and views of the world that you've become, you've habitually ad, uh, sort of attached to. And so, illumination is the process of un, un, um, seeing through all that and, um, and and being able to step outside it.
0: Yeah, and culture is a cult. People forget about that. It's the same <laughs> word. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, culture gives us some wonderful things, but you know, I mean, it's, 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 it, I think um, Joseph Campbell talks talks about this in his um, division of the left hand path and the right hand path, where he sees the right hand path as working within culture, and the left hand path he sees as the the path of the hero who has to step outside the circle of culture, and um, you know, and he sees and he depicts the the, the culture as the mandala, um, uh, you know, so. It could be, you know, it could be somebody who steps outside the tribe, a small. It could be a small, uh, just a small culture on a small scale, like the fact the immediate family or, or something like that. But you know, you you can step outside that, and um, and that's the path of the individual. And of course, that's that's the path of many shaman who would, um, for example, in Siberia, where they would uh, they would. They would actually have to go outside the tribe and live for a few years, and then come back before they were accepted as a shaman. I think um, I think I heard it once said that it was a, you know a year for a mere sorcerer, but three years for a full shaman. But uh, <laughs> that they had to go and live on their own, and survive on their own.
0: Um, yeah, but so uh, I get the serpent theme, but why do you call it chemical serpents? Well,
1: because I, I was focused on the, the alchemical tradition, there's a couple of different reasons why chemical. I mean, chemical, the word chemical derives from um, some Greek word, uh, some Greek a Greek root, that, which means to mix together. And um, it, in particular, it was to do with the creation of medicine. Um, and of course... Uh, you know, medicine takes many forms, especially in terms of the psyche. I mean, it, I mean, the, the mystical path is medicine for the soul, um, and so the techniques of the mystical path. They, they they it can include, of course, things like entheogens and uh, and you know, actual plants and uh, based and fungi based and uh, other medicines. But uh, but it can also include you know, technique based medicine you know what we might you know modern terms might think of as psychology or something but um um and uh, you know working through working through our personal um issues i suppose um and all of that together i mean all of that comes together into one big what i see as the uh, alchemical path and of course i also use the word chemical because it's you know a, the a strong part of the word alchemy, um, you know, chem- chemistry. What we know as chemistry today derives its name from alchemy. Uh, they just removed the owl, which is the al is just a an Arabic prefix for the, So it's it's kind of you know it's the mixing of things. So, yeah. So. So yeah, so it's. I mean, that's that's the thing. I mean, I, I, I It explores. Um, I mean, whilst it focuses and, and, and draws its inspiration from the from the Hermetic tradition in particular, it's it, um, it isn't. Um, it doesn't hold that above everything else. It just used it as its framework to explore everything else. So that um, when I would explore a symbol like the Caduceus you know, the two serpents entwining, in this book I I will look at that in all cultures because it it is a kind of almost universal symbol that appears everywhere. And the Ouroboros in particular, you'll find um, pretty much every continent has some kind of Ouroboros form um, in its culture. Um,
0: Yeah, it's it's very strange that... uh, uh, the same symbols appear in in all different cultures all over the world. And uh, either yeah. it's uh, downloaded knowledge or people travel more than we think in the old days.
1: Yeah, or maybe, I mean, and, and, and one theory, I mean, I there was an experience I've had, because I've been living um, for the last couple of years um, in the area of Loch Ness, well, I live in Inverness, in the, the nearest city to Loch Ness. It's a short bus ride away. I can get there in a day um, and back. Have a day trip. I mean, um, camp. And we camp there frequently. We, I, I, we, we moved here because of a camping trip a couple of years before I started living here proper. And um, I mean, now we, we spent a week. Um, or... A, was it a week or a long week? Oh, well, whatever. It was a it was a few several days where we, we camped on the shore of Loch Ness, and we went on quite a lot of long walks, um, and it's um it's, it's well it's an amazing place to be anyway. But uh, the one of the walks we went on was walking right seven hours through this forest, and just we pretty much saw no one all day. There was there was um I think there was one point where we were. Um, sitting in a, in a picnic, and some cyclists. A couple of cyclists went past, and there was another time when a, a sort of a jet fighter flew overhead. And that was that was our human contact for the whole of the walk for the seven or eight hours. Um, but during, I mean, that the reason I bring that up is because it was an entheogenic experience for us. We were, we were. Uh, there was four of us, and we were, we were. Um, we had t- partaken of um, a sacrament of um, psychedelic uh, qualities, and we were, and, and during it, I, I had a number of um, amazing experiences from nature that directly relate to the kind of symbols that are that I'm, I mean find in chemical serpents, and, and gave me some insights into how how these kind of symbols would appear throughout the world. Um, in particular, the the uh, the relationship of the serpent to the to the world tree and the and the top of the tree the the eagle or well in some cultures of some kind of thunderbird or chimeric entity but um, but pretty much that's another universal symbol is is you've got this world tree with um, some kind of dragon or serpent or um, sometimes a kind of cayman or other um, alligator type thing or whatever in the roots um of the tree and and then on the on the top you've got some kind of eagle or a bird you know a big bird like that which which you know has qualities related to lightning and thunder and storms sitting on the top and um you know in, in, in the, when i was wa- on this walk through this this woodland we, we we did come across this we came across um we didn't come across any snakes as such, but we came across slow worms, which are kind of like a, um, they are a leg they are a legless reptile, but they're just, um, they, they're just descended from lizards. So they kind of more, they lost their legs a lot more recently than snakes did because um, they're from a separate evolutionary path. But they, but they, we found some of them just basking on the, on the floor near the roots of the trees. Along the walk, and and another point, it was you know a very amazing experience. But we just heard this thunderous noise, and we looked up, and there was a golden eagle just launching itself off the top of one of these you know great pine trees. And it was you know it was it was huge. I couldn't believe it was so close. You know you really saw the scale of this bird, and I just it was just like a mind blowing experience because I'd never seen one before except maybe in a zoo or something like that but um, to actually see one in the wild up that close whilst in the middle of um a spiritual experience was but also directly related to exactly what i was studying um uh yeah it was it felt it felt felt pretty amazing
0: i i think the more you pay attention to uh signs, the the more you're given, so uh, I just had one when you were talking, because yesterday I actually googled different words for illusion, and I, I discovered Maya, and then now you said Maya, so I already knew <laughs> the word so it's a typical example of what happens to me on a daily basis, but <laughs> mm-hmm. synchronicities, yeah. uh, but I discovered that you can attract them, uh, if you follow them, you attract them. Somewhere. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I think the more you learn, the more you see them because um, the more you learn, the the more likely you are to understand what it is you've just heard um, as well. So you you see more connections and things when you learn more things. Um.
0: But uh, I've I've also studied the serpent symbolism, and I've uh, many years ago the Bible. I, <laughs> I really didn't like the Bible, and it represented something very bad, for, in, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, fascist, dogmatic, stupid book. Uh, but the Gnostics, when I got into the Gnostics many years ago, and I, I changed my l- outlook on the Bible, so it's all about how you read it, how you look at it. So mm-hmm. if you look yeah. at it from an alchemical Gnostic perspective, it's pretty interesting book. Um, it it just, is,
1: yeah. I mean... Yeah. Um, I mean, I, in chemical Serpents, I do, I do go into to Christian and Hebrew um, and uh, symbolism as well, um, because it all relates. I mean, the and, and the Gnostics, of course, um, give some very interesting perspectives on that, especially the whole Adam and Eve um, myth. I mean, you could, you, I mean, if you understand it in a mystical sense, I mean, you you start to realise that the the, the carabim is another form of this thunderbird uh, that I was talking about that sits atop of the tree of life. Uh, and so the serpent is again the symbol climbing up from the roots. And um, I mean, the word carabim, I, I think, derives from some Assyrian um, words to do with the caribou and the current kar- caribou, which mean they kind of mean blessed and propitious. Great and mighty, and and these these words in Assyrian were applied to some a group of spirits called the um, uh, the Alad Aladlamu or Shedu, and um, these were um, tetramorph spirits. You know they were they were made from four, uh, four um, basically the eagle, the lion, the the, the bull, and uh, and a man that so they, were, they were, which is the, of course appears again in the Bible as the four evangelists symbols of the or at least in Christian uh, might not be biblical but it's it was they they're used as symbols within Christianity as the as the four gospel writers but they are they actually that actually has eight more ancient roots in assyrian culture and um, the Kerabim, the name Kerabim derives from this entity and they are also depicted as um, as these things and these guardian spirits um, they appear also as sphinxes with with maybe one or two of the um, animals substituted um, both in Egypt but also in Buddhist and uh, hindu shrines in the um, in the far east so I mean this is, quite a univer- again quite a universal symbol um.
0: so you view the serpents I guess as a positive entity or symbol or
1: um, yeah, I yeah. mean, I, I guess, I mean, I
0: have to really yeah. because. <laughs> well, well, my qu- reason I say that is I do too, but, uh, you know, uh, you know this David Icke guy. Who, yeah, I've, uh, b- I've heard believes, of yeah, who really believes? Yeah, who believes that all the evil leaders of the world are actually reptilian, mm-hmm. and um, if you read everything he writes, most of it, I agree with. Like you know, uh, infinite love and all this stuff, but it's this rept- evil reptile bit that doesn't make any sense. Uh, yeah. So I'm wondering if if it's if it's uh, good and bad reptiles, or if it's just David Icke well, who just is when he discovered these reptilian, he just got scared and thought they were evil.
1: Mm. Yeah. I mean, to me. To me, um, I, I kind of understand how it might be interpreted in a mystical way, and that's that's to do with the fact that we all have um, part of our brain which is sort of more inherent, inherited from our uh, reptile past, and it governs the kind of fight. For, uh, our fights and flight response, you know, f- our fear response, basically. Uh, I mean, I'm not a I'm not a neuroscientist, uh, scientist, so I can't quite remember. I think it's called the amygdala or something like that. But it's um, and if you if you get trapped in that kind of thinking, um, you can become quite, you know, it's it's, it's the it can be, you can become quite paranoid, I suppose, um, and. You, it can prevent you from reaching out and forming connections to other people um, um, and being able to see things from other people's point of view because you're too busy, you're too busy fearful for yourself and you know, trying to either get away from some perceived danger or whether it's real or imaginary, um, or fighting against this perceived danger, whether it's real or imaginary. So, I, I can kind of understand how you could apply that to the world leaders and see how they are stuck in their reptile brain, as it were. Um, no. <laughs> you know, if it's an allegory. But, I, I mean, I don't know about David Icke. Maybe he means it literally that they really are reptiles with fake skin. I don't know, but mm. um, um, I haven't read his books, so I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know for sure. But, no. uh, but, uh, but uh, of course, you know, to get into reptile consciousness is also a mystical ability because it's, you know, if, if it's in if it's in a ritual context, it's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, it's, it's just... Um, it's just that, um, you know, if, if you're stuck in that way of thinking all the time, then it becomes a limitation. Yeah.
0: I met, that's that's uh, my view. I, mean. I met, uh, I, w- I was in in uh, Peru a few months ago, and I met a, uh, a American there, and he was a, a Christian, but he was a, uh, uh, well, he did Reiki and healing and other things, so he, I guess he wasn't like a, fundamentalist Christian but uh-huh. he was a Christian and I told him that thing about the uh, serpent in the Garden of Eden was prob- perhaps th- the good guy trying to show Adam and Eve the illusion and all this and uh, after I'd finished my monologue a uh, uh, his his face was white it looked like his brain had exploded <laughs> I don't think he liked that uh Twist on the f- on on the story that he knew well, uh, so I imagine that Christian, real Christians, might have a problem with this gnosticism. I guess that's why they were murdered in the old days.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah, it's a shame. Now, I, I think in the you know in the before you had state religion, I think you had different uh, cults or whatever that would take their own interpretation of things, and things are more fluid. So some would some would take the, the symbols used in another cult and turn them on their head or, or, or just look at them from a different perspective. Um, and, you'd, and you'd have, the, or even within the same tradition, you would have um, gods, you know, depending on what mystery you're exploring, gods would be looked at in a different light. So you, it wasn't so much that they were good and evil, just so much as the fact that, you know, they, that both their, both their benevolent and malevolent aspects were explored. And I think that's the that's the way I like to look at it with the with the serp, with the relationship between the serpents and the, the thunder what I call the thunderbird I suppose the thunderbird I guess is the the North American name uh, well the English uh, translation of the North America uh, category for, for uh, uh, the group of spirits of that quality yeah um,
0: yeah I, I don't really think any more in good and evil. I rather think in like immature and mature behavior, (laughs) yeah, uh, yeah. Because uh, from my perspective, you can't really hurt anybody on the infinite scale of things, but you can be a you can do immature things in this life.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I mean, humanity has been. I mean, we've gone through a lot of growing pains over the last few thousand years, but I mean, I, I, I I can't remember who. There was some scientist or somebody that was doing some studies on um, looking at the fossil record and just looking at how violent we've been with each other um, throughout history. And they came up with the the interesting realisation that as um, as we've progressed, we've, we've gradually become more and more peaceful. I mean, we're living at the time in, you know, throughout all of history where you're less Likely to be killed by a fellow human being than we ever were, um, and, it, and it's been in a gradual decline. I mean, since you know, the, since the fossil record began. I mean, it's, it's it's hard to believe. I mean, you look back at the 20th century and you you, know, you look at mass genocides and uh, you know massive state murders from Hitler, Stalin, Pol Pot, whatever you know, and you you think, well, that must and droppings of the atom bomb by the allies against japan and then you kind of think god we that must, you know that must have been a very violent era but but no it seems that you know taken on a on the chance of an individual's level that that we are getting more and more peaceful and so I, i'm optimistic that we're working towards um, a more you know a gradually more and more enlightened um, civilization. Um, I think there's forces of fear that try to hide that from us. They try to they try to pretend that things are getting more violent, or they want us to live in fear. Because mm-hmm. I think the forces of authority want want you know want us to be fearful so that we need them. But um,
0: yeah, would you say you're uh, uh, an anarchist or?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I, I will use that label because, for want of a better one, really. I, I, I haven't uh, studied all the different anarchists uh, to know exactly which one I would, you know, align myself with more, But because uh, I know there's quite a spectrum of different anarchist uh, um, thoughts out there.
0: Um, mm. No, but, but
1: yeah, the, the basic certainly, one... Uh, certainly, I believe that... that um, coercion and force um, are unnecessary and, and should be eliminated you know? um,
0: What about uh, are you would you say you're uh, an atheist or, or not?
1: Um, see that's, that's an interesting one for me I, I guess I guess I think more agnostically about things in the sense that on the one hand I can see the point of atheism and yet on the other hand I talk to spirits and entities all the time which may or may not exist outside my own head Um.
0: (laughs) No the reason I ask this is because I've discovered recently uh, that it seems to me that most anarchists are also atheists uh, yeah, well, and I guess
1: that comes from the you know, they're no gods, no masters slogan.
0: Yeah, but that's because I think they are still they're thinking about God and spiritualism in a human concept, whereas my experience of God and spiritual things is of a more yeah. egalitarian way, where even yeah. if even if it's a God, he's still not a superior because. Um, he, you know, you don't. Yeah. Light doesn't have a leader or a subject. You know, it's just light, for instance. Yeah.
1: Exactly. I mean, I, the way the, the way I see it is that um, there are some some of these some of the entities that I am in contact with may like to think. You know, might like to use the labels God or Goddess to or deity for the more hermaphrodite ones to refer to themselves. Um, you know, they might like to be thought of in that way. Others. Might like to be thought of as angels or demons or extraterrestrials or fae, you know, uh, trolls. I don't know. They they all like to be thought of as different things, and whether they are different things, I don't know. But either way, I will just treat them like I would treat a, a, a fellow human being that I'm meeting. I'll try and be friends with them, you know, and uh, and and and, as a, and friendship applies equality to me. Um, and if they can't, if I can't be friends, you know, then, you know, in a, in, a, in a close friendship way, or then I'll, I may, I may, if there's something mutually beneficial, we can do for each other, think about a trade relationship. But to me, that's just kind of already a step down from a friendship-based relationship. And if I can't trade, then, you know, it, it gets, you know, there's a different hierarchy of ways I will relate. But depending on the willingness of the spirit to, to you know. I've got a model of uh, how I would prefer to relate to them, different, and it going right down to like if this 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 spirit's just not, it's it's just being completely malevolent. Then I'll, and I can't seem to negotiate with it any terms of peace. Then then I'll then I'll resort to having to try and bind it or fight it off or in some way or we'll exercise it. But I, I prefer not to have to do that, uh, even with something that immediately appears negative i will actually try and negotiate with it okay I, so i'll try and find out why it's behaving like that because it's usually often i find it's um it's to do with something that i might be doing wrong um in some way and so i might be i might be harassing it in some way with, without realizing i am and then and then it, it just lets me know it's, it's actually a defensive mechanism from the from the entity um but it's, it's all of them are something You know, obviously, you have to try and find ways of communicating with them because they don't—they're not always as easy to communicate with as the others. But
0: uh, uh, yeah. at
1: least in my experience,
0: yeah, maybe there needs to be a uh, spiritual anarchist faction <laughs> as well. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, I guess I guess that uh, might might fit into that, but I, I think to me, I mean, the way I the way I see it with you no know, gods, no masters, is I just I kind of still like that slogan, but I, I kind of see it as got, a god is something that you hold up as above yourself, um, as as having more value than yourself, you know, that you worship, and in a sense, even the spirits that like to be thought of as gods and goddesses, I don't worship them. Um, I don't, you know, I don't put the, them, their interests before my own. If you see what I mean so, mm. um, in that sense, I have an ana- I see myself as having an anarchistic relationship with that, um, with that God, I suppose.
0: But you can also, like I mentioned earlier, you can also look at a God as more mature. So then you you, uh, you don't see your father or mother as uh, your leader. It's just that they are you know your father or mother but mm. you know
1: exactly i mean i, I think uh, i think um there's an older me there's an older meaning of the word authority which i think is perfectly at ease with um, um anarch- anarchism and that's that's the meaning of authority is in the in the per- in the sense of somebody that knows what they're talking about mm. you know if somebody's really learned a particular subject you will say they're an authority on that subject yes and you don't mean that they've got the right to tell everyone else what to do. <laughs> you just mean that they just know—they just happen to know what they're talking about. And if you're wise, you'll listen to what they have to say about it. Um, but it doesn't mean that you're obliged to follow them. Otherwise, you'll be punished. Um, or, um, I mean, I guess in the sense of a, a little child um, and their parents. I mean, obviously, a parent may have to. Uh, resort to, you know, if a, fire, a child's about to put, put their hand in the fire, they may have to resort to, you know, telling them off or, or pulling them away or, you know, saying, no, you you know. They may have to resort, resort to force or coercion to stop them doing it. But, you know, and things like that, you know, uh, if they're about to drain themselves in a fast-flowing river in which they can't possibly have learned to swim or, you know, you know, a parent will... will be harsh sometimes, seemingly harsh, but that's, you know, to, to love, and that's not the same as, um, to me, that's not the same as, um,
0: making a law.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not the same as the, law, the kind of authoritarian law where you've got people that just have the absolute right to tell everyone else what to do, um, or to use, you know, that's, you know, that's obviously more authoritarian is force. And obviously what we, what we experience more often in uh, modern democratic societies is coercion, which is, um, you know, you have to kind of work for the system. Otherwise you don't get your survival tokens, i.e. money. uh, And so you don't get to have shelter and you don't get to have food. Um, And you see, and you see that, that's, that, that system is more subtle
0: but it's there. We had an election here where I am recently and uh, the new government they got 33% of the votes of all people who could vote which I think is pretty funny that the the rulers are the minority if you mm. consider the whole mass. But I mean that, yeah. that party still got the most votes of all the parties but in total they only got 33% of the popula- population
1: yeah i mean that that happens a lot in the uk um as well because we, i think i mean one of the, i'm not i'm not trying to say that that proportional representation is a better system than well is the ultimate system it's definitely better than first past the post but which is what the uk and the us seem to be stuck with uh, them you know it, because first past the post does does very does very much skew the the even so even they don't even get Fifty percent of the people that vote, let alone the people who could vote, you know, they, I think A lot of these governments were formed. If you actually take into account everybody that could vote, they they often form a government on like twenty five percent of the voting population, and this um, excuse things completely. I was kind of thinking about um, how you know the, how democracy differs from 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 say the ideals of anarchism, where you where you have this system based on consensus. And I think the, the idea of consensus it might seem scary. It's like, well, okay, so you've got all these part, you know, you've got all these. I mean, okay, maybe you, one way of doing it is you might have a system where you still vote for representatives, but instead of the majority just being able to force through everything, everything has to be negotiated with all the parties there. And in a way, kind of seems. On the one hand, it seems like a route for stagnation, but on the other hand, it kind of you kind you can kind of end up seeing well. Would it stagnate, or would would it would it eventually get to the stage where all parties would um, reach some agreement? Because none of them want things to stay the same as they are. Um, all of them want some form of change, and maybe it would be fairer in that sense. In that um, nothing could be forced through, um, and because if things are forced through, then you it kind of favours a system where you've got big parties that re- require lots of funds, and so they require corporate sponsorship, and so they all end up representing corporate interests, regardless of who you vote for. Um, and that's you know that's 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 based on majoritarian democracy. Whereas I think it, that would be less likely to happen in a system where it was based on consensus, because you you'd actually have to. Um, everything would have to be negotiated with all parties. So, you know, you wouldn't have the interest of voting for big parties. You wouldn't be scared into voting for them. You would think, well, no, I want, rather than voting for the lesser of two evils, I'm going to make sure that some representatives get in from this small party, that, which is what I really think, because then they'll, they'll really stand up for what I... Um, you know, in the, in the, well, they won't need big corporate sponsorship. They'll just need enough supporters to come to, to come together behind them to say, "Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll stand up for this." You know, um, and so with the internet as it is now, and, and um, people being able to connect online um, and get together behind a the movement, then you know, corporate sponsorship becomes less and ne- less necessary. So. You know, I'm, I'm, again, I'm optimistic about in the future. I don't know how long it will take for these kind of things to happen, but I mean, because obviously, there's nowhere that's about to, <laughs> there's nowhere in the world, as far as I know, that's about to adopt this. But um, you know, these ideas are there, and I'm sure it's only a matter of time before somebody tries them.
0: Do you think uh, psychedelics can make people optimistic? Because this is what I've noticed: that most people who are not so optimistic but still are intelligent. Are the ones that have not tried psychedelics, in my in my life, the ones I met.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've known people that have tried psychedelics and then seem to have walked away from them and retreated back into a, um, what we might perhaps speak call a more conservative way of looking at things. I, d- I, d- I don't. Well, that's... I don't know if that's because they were afraid of the experience. Yes. Um, you know which. <sighs>
0: Well, it's two ways you can take them. One is you just take them as a drug. The other way is you want to evolve. uh, Because if you just take them as a drug and they show you a teaching, uh, some teachings can be very hard to do, like maybe something simple as stop drinking or something. And they don't want to stop drinking, then yeah, you could understand why they turn away.
1: Yeah, yeah. Or... You know, and, and maybe some of them came from very materialistic sort of viewpoints. Um, but by materi- by materialist, I mean sort of you know, um, you know that kind of materialist atheist sort of um, viewpoint where everything's just matter and science, and there's no, there is no, there is no spirit, there is no value in looking at things from a spiritual perspective. If they're just very embedded in that, and they just, like you say, they they take some some psychedelic as a recreational experience. Um, then there's there's a chance it will awaken them to something but it but it but on the other hand they might just see it as okay yeah it was just a weird thing it messed with my mind and made me think weird things and then they just dismiss it as like oh yeah my brain was just scrambled by this drug and that's all there is to it um and i think i think one of the things if you're more open is you'll you'll look at this thing and you'll see think okay, that's actually an interesting mind state that I got into there it's very different from my normal waking consciousness it's very different from um, say being drunk on alcohol it's uh, and, and you know and, and you, you'll just think well actually that means that the brains capable of functioning in all sorts of different ways to how we're we're used to and especially if you then explore some things like meditation and so so non in other words non um, you don't have to take something that stimulates it in you. You just have to do something and get into some trance through dancing or, um, other things like that. Um, then, then you will start to realize that actually your mind naturally has different states of consciousness. Mm. It it doesn't actually require a chemical to induce it. it. It, it has it anyway. And, um, and then you, and then you just realize that these chem, that these um, you know entheogens, sacraments, they're actually ways in which we can awaken um, certain um, perspectives, certain uh, kinds of consciousness, altered states of consciousness. That um, you know, and then and and, and then and then you, you you get to realize that your normal waking consciousness is every bit as illusory, is, illusionary as the ones that. Uh, that you that you can induce by other means because they all have their limitations um, if waking con- normal waking consciousness has its limitations um, things that it's not so good at and so you kind of um, you kind of see start to see the value in the, the kinds and um, realize that they all form part of the human experience in my thats um, that's my that's how I I've um, that's that's where I'm at with seeing it anyway. I'm sure um, <laughs> there's other ways of looking at it too, but
0: yeah, yeah, I've uh, changed a lot since I tried different kinds of psychedelics, and uh, in a way, I found I've found that it's very hard to give advice to people. Now <laughs> I don't do it anymore because I realize that you can't give advice to anybody. If you know you also, yeah, if
1: somebody's in the wrong state, yeah. it can, um, you know, I mean, you know, they it can it can really do the wrong thing. I mean, uh, if they approach it in the wrong way, I guess, I guess that's to do with the you know the, the set and setting, I suppose. Mm. I mean, if, if you uh, if your set and setting was you know, back, um, you know, Charles Manson and Span Ranch or whatever, then it's going to have a very different effect on you than. Yeah. Um, than uh, if you were just around somebody that was you know supportive and, of personal growth.
0: Um, yeah. yeah, it's like but that, that uh, Bill Hicks uh, joke where he says that I took some mushrooms and I went to Astroworld and had a really bad time. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: so some roller coasters. It's all about the setting.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. The people that wanted to take him away away to the crazy golf. Yeah. To, to, to make his trip peak, and he was like, "Well, hang on, I'm just watching the pyramids be built by UFOs. <laughs> what way would crazy golf enhance that? You know?" <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it's. Uh, I know what you mean. I I, I, I uh, There are, of course. I guess I guess that idea of going and playing crazy golf. Unless crazy golf means something to you spiritually, uh, I'm not. Um, it could it could do for some people, I suppose. There could be. Um, I mean, the Discordians, uh, from what I understand, had a mystical experience whilst playing bowling, so bowling features as something in there.
0: Another thing you're you're interested in is uh, chaos magic, right?
1: Mm-hmm, yeah, and.
0: Uh, uh, i'm not so well versed in this what if you to a layman what, how would you explain chaos magic
1: well chaos magic um i mean it it, it came out of um i think it originated in the u k um but obviously it was it was influenced by things that came before it like uh, this like i just mentioned discordianism discordianism came out of california um in i think the sixties um as chaos magic was more the end of the seventies, and it was, and it was in the UK. Um, I think, from what I understand, I mean, I was only a child at the time, so I, I don't know much. Only what I've read about it, the, the origins of chaos magic, and uh, there was a couple of guys that got together who were interested in working magic outside of the what had become quite rigid traditions at the time. One, one was from a thelemic background, which is the Crowley's style magic and one was from a Wiccan background and from a witchcraft background and and both of them saw the value in their respective traditions but they also saw how how they'd become walled off from each other and they also saw how both traditions had somehow become quite religious and started to have dogma and so they kind of and and, 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 it got away and they both started to demonise low magic in, in, in terms of doing magic to get results in, in cert, to a certain degree. I'm sure there was people in both traditions that didn't demonise low magic and was a, were actively practising it, but, that, but that's not really the point. I guess from their personal experience, that's the groups, that the immediate concepts they had had. And so they wanted to get down to magic with actually achieved results. They wanted to be able to cast a spell and see that something happened. And so they drew on the uh, kind of obvious uh, recent history of uh, results magic, which was Austin Spare's sigil technique, um, which is where you just write down what you want to happen, and then you remove the repeated letters, and then you combine the remaining letters into some kind of design, which you call a sigil. And then... um, they could, you can you can abstract that design further so if it still doesn't quite look pretty enough you can you can go okay well, I'll, I'll just adapt that and make it look pretty and the idea is eventually the you've just got some abstract looking symbol and it no longer you know your conscious mind can't read the intent from the symbol but your sub but your subconscious the intent has sunk down into the subconscious at this level and then you kind of are supposed to reach some kind of altered state of consciousness whilst um, concentrating on that symbol, it's supposed to, um, and then, and then you should. You know, the idea is to get a result from that practicing that. So I mean, that was one of the one of the thing, techniques they took on board in early results magic, and and I think eventually they, um, whilst drawing influences from Discordianism, which was that which is a kind of, is it a joke? Is it a religion? Kind of uh, movement from California, which is Centered on Eris, the goddess of chaos and confusion, and they and they also drew on the emerging what was what was became known at the time as chaos mathematics and chaos science, which is to do with fractals, things like the butterfly effect and uh, strange attractors and and other things like that. And and then they, and also they, I think, at least one of them had a background in role playing game type stuff and fantasy fiction like Michael Moorcock, where where were, the force of chaos was quite represented, and indeed that's and Michael Moorcock's fiction is indeed where the, the eight-rayed star of chaos symbol comes from. Um, it appeared appeared first in his books, at least as a symbol of chaos. I mean, there is a sim, there is a eight-rayed eight stars and the arrows emanating from a central point have appeared in lots of things before Moorcock, but they were never explicitly called a symbol of chaos. They, were, they represented all sorts of things. Um, for example, the Eight of Wands in uh, Crowley's Thoth Tarot is sort of eight zigzaggy arrows emanating from a, a central point, like a, like the symbol of chaos, but it's not called chaos. It's just to do with it's related to the idea of quickness. Um, it's to do with the energy of fire in the sphere of HOD or Mercury, planet Mercury. So so that's just one example. Um, But it's, yeah, but but Moorcock's fiction was the first to call it a symbol of chaos. But it got taken on board into different genres of punk and uh, different genres of science, fantasy, role-playing games. Uh, Notably uh, the Warhammer series by Games Workshop.
0: Um, yeah crowley is is more famous, but uh, it's actually Austin awesome space that I think people should look look into because he's he's got some very interesting things and I really yeah. like the way he writes he writes in a special way uh,
1: yeah space crowley um yeah i mean crowley, crowley's written a hell of a lot of stuff and there's definitely things of value in crowley, what crowley's written, but he does have a tendency to um to some, to, towards pretension in his writing on occasion, and, and I guess there's al- also this this tendency to uh, say for uh, this this further further secrets of this matter are only available to the adepts of this degree, or you know, and, and or, or you know, also to, to refer to the, uh, his other works for further information on this topic. See equinox, blah blah blah, and. Um, yeah, so if you don't have his complete works, then you just often feel like, okay, you're missing something. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it, it's definitely... He definitely... He was well-travelled, Crowley. I mean, he, uh, he he spent time living in London, He spent time up here in the Loch Ness area. Um, he travelled in, uh, in the Far East... You know, and training in Buddhism and stuff, and uh, he was a mountaineer. Um, he, you know, he obviously that career came to an end with a fateful mountaineering accident. But uh, which he claims was people just not following his advice because they they were all tired and wanted a camp, and he told them it wasn't a safe place. Um, but they they all decided to camp anyway, and he decided he wasn't gonna camp there because he knew how unsafe it was he went on and camped on his own further up the mountain and sure enough they all um, there was I don't know whether it was an avalanche or something where they all they were all um, killed later that night but, and of course he, he got into trouble and got blamed for not helping them and all that kind of thing but uh, I don't know it's hard to, it's you know it's hard to say whether he was at fault or not really we only have his version of events to to um, to go
0: on. He probably murdered them all in their sleep. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what he would have had to gain from that.
0: <laughs> but, um, I like one of these uh, uh, rituals I read about. He uh, how he crucifies a frog. Uh, really, I haven't read that one. Uh, I don't know. I just found it fascinating. He 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 takes a frog and then he s- puts it through all the things that Jesus went through in the in in the in the passion, or and uh, I can't remember why he did this, what the goal was. But it, it's just the uh, the way it's written. It's it's just a good read. Uh, mm. I wouldn't advise. Yeah, him he does about have a way with words. <laughs>
1: that's for sure. Resper, on the other hand, is is more. He's definitely more of an artist, and he, many ways, seems both more poetic and both both more accessible. And his 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 magic was more more aimed on sorcery, so it was very much to do with how to get results, which is why it probably appealed to the early chaos magicians.
0: I just think uh, he writes a lot, like in your face kind of writing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where he goes, yeah. ye stupid human, and stuff like <laughs> that.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So uh, if people want to get your book, uh, the Chemical Serpents, you also did another one, have you? Or.
1: Yeah. Well, my older book. I mean, that was that was out um, ten years ago now. Um. No, it was chaos hieroglyphica, which, which as I say, was the more chaos magic of the two. Mm. Um, whereas, as I say, Capacal Serpents is, you know, it's a, it's a, a journey through all the, the, the symbols that of 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 the serpent throughout the world, um, and 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 it connects to the tree of the tree, the tree of life, and um, you know, and it and it explores the. Um, relationship of that with other, with non-serpent symbols as well, but it's, it's it, I don't know, the serpent's the common theme, the common thread that runs through it, and, um, yeah, where people can buy it, I guess, um, I mean, it's available on Amazon, but uh, I guess um, Amazon take quite a big cut, so I prefer if people buy it direct through Lulu,
0: because,
1: Um <laughs> hmm. 'cause um then I get uh, I get more royalties through that. It's the same price either way, so you know. It's out, I guess it's on Amazon because that makes it you know accessible. People find it there and buy it. But um, but um, if people want to do me a favor, they can buy it through Lulu.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you have any uh, websites or anything like that? Oh yeah, yeah. Out? I've
1: got a few. Um, I mean, my. I've I've got a website as an author, which is just antonchanning.com, dot and um, but i also have a there's a, a kind of group that I work with, um, which is the um, the well we call us these days we call ourselves the Kia Invisible Agents, and um, and we, we, we agent in the sense of is a can be another word for magician in its own way, and I think that's one of one of the reasons we explored that but it's kind of an act it's kind of the magician as a, an active person being an agent of change and uh, uh kia of course comes from austin spare um mm-hmm. theories the, the word the word kia um invisible is inspired by grant morrison's invisibles but also the, you know the hades the god of the underworld his name meant invisible in height and voodoo the The Loire and the Gede are referred to collectively as the Invisibles. Uh, And so it appears throughout throughout the world, this idea of the invisible, the hidden, which I guess is the occult. So it's kind of like, um, it's related to all those ideas. Um, And so that website is kiamagic.com. So it's um, K-I-A magic.com. It's a non-hierarchical group. There's no... no, no one thing that it's about, really. And we're connected with a non, no, another non-hierarchical group called Free Illuminism, uh, which, rather than a Chaos Magic background, it, it came out of more of a Gnostic and Thelemite background. Um, they, they operate more in Atlanta in the US. Uh, but they are worldwide, too. I mean, we're both worldwide, really. We, because we're both non-hierarchical, we kind of just sort of teamed up and have a relationship with each other. and. Um, each other as all cells in a big anarchist spiritual network mm. so yeah there's that's. I guess that's
0: yeah thank you for taking the time to talk to me uh, no problem please check uh, naturalbornalchemist.com for program notes and links related to this episode to finish off now I'm going to play a song from the latest Nameless Archive album called Moonbow This album is a departure from the normal lo-fi singer-songwriter music, and is instead an electronic concept album about all things rainbow. The song I'm about to play is very fitting to this episode about chemical serpents, as the song itself is called "Rainbow Serpents." Freedom is in the mind.